This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, real quick before we get started on the show, I'm just going to talk about Treeline Academy. You've heard me say it. I can't even tell you how many times. Um, Mark Livesey is treelineacademy.net. That's treelineacademy.net. Sign up. Use the promo code PC2020. Save yourself 20 bucks. Can't say it enough. It's awesome. Amazing. Most comprehensive e-scouting course out there. Check it out for yourself. Sign up. Use promo code PC2020. Also, check out Basemap. I've been using it now for probably a little over a year. I used it all last hunting season and I think it was just a great tool to use. I really like their smart markers because I'm not a guy that takes notes, but as long as I have a cell signal, it definitely helps out. I can find out all kinds of information, weather, all kinds of things that was going on that day when I dropped a pin. And then with that being said, you could save yourself 25% using the promo code PC25 and that can only be used on the website not on the app. If you use the app, it won't allow you to use the discount code. So go ahead and sign up with that. It's cheaper than a lot of the other platforms out there. And for the price of like 24 or 25 bucks, you get all 50 states. So it's a great deal. Sign up, man. You won't regret it. And then with that being said, stick around to the end of the episode because we're doing a giveaway here at Publicly Challenged. And you're going to want to find out the details, how to submit and when because it's big. All right, so I'm sitting here and I am talking to Ryan Lampers. And Ryan, I'm gonna ask you to introduce yourself a little bit and then we can get started on the whole questions I got for you. Absolutely, yeah. Good to be here, Lucas. I appreciate you uh, you having me on. A um, little bit about me. So uh, Ryan Lampers, I, I guess I'm a hunter, gardener forager family man i got i got a couple of beautiful daughters uh got a, a wife that's in another league that i'm not in that um <laughs> i'm very blessed to have i've uh, been a hunter all my life fisherman all my life uh spent most of my years growing up washington state um unfortunately uh it took me a lot of years to get where i am now which is in montana and uh you know, my wife grew up here and she'd been trying to get me back here for a lot, long time. But my, my work kept me from doing that in Washington. And um, somehow, some way, we, we figured out a way where we could both uh, make a living here in Montana. And that had been a goal of ours for a long time. 
Uh, met my wife in Alaska a long time ago. Been married a long time. I've been uh, 24 years. Uh, I've known my wife for 25 years. And um, yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. We do a we do a podcast of our own called the Hunt Harvest Health Podcast, and um, just a lot of different little businesses that my wife and I have started together since we've been here in Montana. We have a supplement line and a CBD line and um, just a whole lot of different uh, little small businesses that we're doing anything and everything we can to make it work here. Um, but I think uh, for, for folks that have um, heard my name in anywhere, it's probably got something to do with hunting. Uh, <laughs> I like to spend a lot of time uh, on the mountain in the woods and, and pursuing all that in the fall and spring and I guess I can't say that anymore. It's almost year-round now, Lucas. It's uh, <laughs> you know, trying to find something to do, a uh, new experience, new place to go check out. So, um, yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. So how many days, Ryan, do you think you actually spend in the field hunting? Boy, that's a good question. Um, it's probably an embarrassingly large amount of days. Um, you know, if you kind of total everything up, I've already spent – um, almost 20 days, uh, just down in Arizona. And that was January getting ready for spring, spring bear. And, uh, I will be probably 25 days there. And then, um, gosh, the fall seasons. Let me think about that for a second. I'm going to say, geez, we're pushing half the year. It seems like, um, I'm out doing something, whether that's uh, an actual hunt or a scout or, or an overnighters, but most, most of the trips, um, end up being, we try to try to keep them at those 10 day marks. Like we try to carve out 10 days for a, for a big trip. So it ends up being a lot of days. And then fortunately, um, you know, with all those days in the field, I do get to work from home. So I get to spend a ton of time with my family here. Um, and, uh, that kind of makes up for, for all those days of being gone. So yeah, probably get close to half the year. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I counted up my days because um, the state, actually the state of Illinois, so for whitetail hunting, I totaled it and it was only 18 days total that I hunted whitetails. I wasn't that impressed. <laughs> a lot of it was a weekend warrior stuff. And then I took one full week. But I, so I told my wife, you know, I said, guess how many days? She goes, I don't know, probably at least like 35. And I was like, not even close, babe. <laughs> It just happens yeah, that way. Like, but what do what do skiers have? They have like that hundred day a year is what they shoot for, right? Yeah. Even if that's just a couple of quick routes down the mountain, they want that hundred days. I think that solidifies you as a ski bum, <laughs> which is like a feather in your cap. But uh, yeah, I don't see why we shouldn't treat hunting the same. <laughs> shoot <for> that hundred <laughs> days. It doesn't have to that. be all day or overnighters either. Just a little bit here and there. So, Ryan, one of the reasons I want to have you on was to talk about the Western Hunting Summit because I think a lot of people take Western hunting for granted or granted and, you know, they don't realize what they have out there because it's just a way of life or whatever. And um, a lot of people that travel from the Midwest don't quite have that experience or even from the East or wherever. And they, they want to get into hunting, Western hunting. And like myself, I had an experience and kind of, you know, I've always been super curious to see those pictures years coming out on the internet and some massive bull or, or, you know, what big black bear or whatever you're chasing, you know? And, um, and so I thought it was really, really cool when you came out with the concept for the Western hunting summit. And I was like, man, I have to go to that. I just have to, the first year I wasn't able to make it, um, my wife wouldn't let me away. Obviously <laughs> I had a newborn son at the moment or he was due any moment. So I was like, man, if he does this next year, I've got to get out there. And I just, um, I wanted to learn from it, you know? And I, and I thought, man, what better people, you know, these seem like a great group of people that he's put together. And, and, uh, I just wanted to learn and, and be able to just take some of that knowledge with me and, and try and advance my skill set and make me a better hunter. And so I, that's kind of one of the main reasons why I want to talk to you today. So can you kind of tell us, you know, how you conceptualized the entire Western Hunting Summit? And what made you want to do that? Yeah, for sure. 
Boy, this could be a long answer too. <laughs> That's um, okay. <laughs> I'm not one to usually ramble on, but this one might get me rambling for a while. Um, yeah, so the summit, I've uh, been, been doing this for a couple of years now. We're going on year three, um, all the three summits again this June. And, and yeah, um, gotta, gotta shake your hand, uh, when you came to the summit, uh, and, uh, last year, I think, I think what got us started in the Western hunting summit was, you know, started doing a lot of talks on mentorship. Um, we started, started getting invites on from folks talking about uh, the importance of it. We started talking about it, did a couple podcasts about it. And um, I will give any success that I've had, uh, I will give that credit to mentors that I've had in my life, um, from my dad to um, my uncle to uh, just a great individual um, that I met in the North Country of Idaho, uh, Dallas Blood. He was a great mentor of mine when it comes to elk. My dad taught me everything he knew when it came to fishing and um, just general hunting, bird hunting, deer hunting, and all the things. Um, and fortunately, I had that, those people, those mentors, to kind of guide me, um, get me excited about it, get me interested in it, uh, and, and kind of bring me into that space. And, you know, as, as Hill and I kind of got wrapped up in social media, um, which was not my idea. It was hers. She uh, she threw me into into social media, but started realizing like there's a lot of folks out there that are real curious. Um, I think my initial impression of social was, man, this is uh, this isn't as bad as I thought it would be because there is a big community of folks out there that just love this thing that we do that we never really get outside of our bubble with um, we just kind of talk amongst ourselves but once you get involved with the, the community through social or whatever you realize there's a bunch of really cool like-minded people out there and it's also a place where people come to get questions answered um, it's a great place to be able to reach out to anybody and everybody i mean you could pick your pick your hunter out there that you have a ton of respect for you could say remy warren i mean you could literally just get on there and, and send him a message and he'll probably respond to you. Um, and we start seeing a lot of messages from folks that are maybe didn't grow up with hunting, uh, started a little later or they had a lot of questions, had some, um, some gaps and where they weren't finding success. Uh, success is, is an issue or just lack of mentorship or lack of know-how. Um, just a lot of information missing for, for people to go out there. You know, I think we can all agree that when there's, um, once you kind of immerse yourself or get involved with something, uh, like the outdoors, you want to protect it. Once you get an understanding for it, it's quick to fall in love with it. And, uh, and having people on board with hunting, hiking, just being outdoors, it's important. And so um, you don't really want to turn your back on people who have questions when it comes to this thing that we love to do. You want anybody and everybody to also appreciate it. And uh, in turn, what happens in the end is they, they are willing to fight for it, protect it. Um, and so, you know, as, as social kind of grew on me, I realized there are a lot of people with questions and there are a lot of people that weren't as fortunate as I was. Maybe they didn't have a father in their life. Maybe they didn't have... Um, or they just grew up in an area that didn't like lend itself to teaching them these things. They didn't have big mountains. And, um, and so figured, well, I have been real lucky in my life to be able to spend a crud ton of time in the mountains and on a variety of different hunts, um, had some success just through the credit of the people that I surrounded myself with. Uh, like I said, my dad, um, and these other gentlemen. They helped me along the way, so uh, my wife and I decided wouldn't be it be cool to create something where we can also kind of get out information to help people find success, um, and whether that's just questions with gear, whether that's just questions with um, you know deer hunting or bear hunting or whatever, um, 
and then also make it an experience that's kind of fun. Like it kind of shows people what we do year round through workouts, through hikes, um, to kind of make ourselves, uh, you know, be, gives ourselves the ability to do this thing that we love to do. A lot of what we love to do takes a lot of like physical activity, a lot of mental toughness and things like that. And so the concept was let's bring in um, a bunch of different presenters who have a long history of success. Um, they've got a ton of information in their heads. And uh, let's bring those guys together to a summit and have them speak to those who have questions and answer those questions, also make it fun. Um, and uh, that's kind of that's what we did. I used to be, um, I used to do these events, it's kind of a, like a Spartan race for bow hunters. It's called the train to hunt events. Um, I, I did a bunch of those, competed in a bunch of those, met some really, really great folks through that event. Um, Kenton Claremont started it and, uh, actually him and Dan Staten started it and then, uh, Kenton took it over and just, just going and competing in these events, there was a community built around train to hunt. Um, that was pretty incredible. Like we suffered together through these really difficult challenges and, you know, weighted hikes and, and we competed against each other and we all kind of went through the suck. And in the end, you like, you tend to appreciate all the other folks that did it. And so you build these relationships and, with these folks. And, uh, and my wife, we were like, man, this is a, such a great thing. This is a great little community we have here. I mean, the hunting community is, is great. But then this little event, this train to hunt event, was a community in itself. And, um, you know, you, we made great friendships with a lot of those people. And that also spawned this little thing that we wanted to bring. We wanted our own, like, cool little community that we could keep in contact with people and and try to help each other out. Um, and that was with the Western Hunting Summit. And so since we've started the events, uh, we've had four of them now. Um, you know, it's, it's great because we've met some great, great people that are now going to be lifelong friends. And we keep in contact with those people. We bounce things off each other. Folks that find success send me photos and we get to talk about them. And um, it's just a great little community. And I, I love seeing that because that's, that's kind of what I was hoping for when we started the summit was just that, which we got to experience um, way back when we did those trained on events. No, that's pretty cool. So then after you get, you know, got the conception of it and you guys have done them, like um, what are the things that you want to impart in the people, the actual, you know, knowledge or what are some of the things that you just kind of want to pass on that you don't think you would normally be able to do through you know, avenues like social media or things like that. Right, right. Yeah, one one thing like we had talked about when we started them is we wanted to keep them really small. And that way, um, it's easier to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with anybody and everybody that comes to the event. Like any attendee that comes there um, can get you alone, can get you off on the side while maybe a workout's going on or another presentation's going on or you're eating or whatever. And, um, and just have really good conversations. Um, kind of like what we did, like when we did a hike, you know, we do these hikes, <laughs> climb to the top of the mountain. Um, like they're decent. They're pretty decent hikes, right? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty decent. That elevation <laughs> jacked me up, Ryan. And what was cool though, is you hung back and it was you and me walking together and you were kind of talking to me along the way. And, um, you know, I think if we were in like in the main group or something, we probably wouldn't have gotten to have the conversation about foraging and everything like we did and talk about the mushrooms. And I pointed out some nettle and said, you better grab some of that for Hillary on the way down and, you know, stuff like that. Just, I don't think we probably would have had that connection otherwise either. So, yeah. I, and it's neat, it's neat to do that for sure. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we wanted we wanted to have a smaller group where we could have those easy conversations with folks, whether it's on the hike or at, at the actual event. And then um, just kind of bring a bunch of different, like I said, really successful guys. Um, there's a reason that folks, I don't know what it is. You hear the 90-10 rule quite a bit, you know, 
Um, but there's also, you break that down even further, there's like a 1%, like cream of the crop. These are guys that um, probably play in the woods way too much. And they <laughs> and they, uh, they just have knowledge because of all the experience that they've gathered. Um, those are the guys that I want to pay attention to and follow and ask questions. Um, so, you know, I, I try to, you know, like pick out these gentlemen out there that have had these experiences that have proven, um, time after time, after time, after time again, that they've, they've figured out something that is making them successful, uh, throughout the years and almost through every hunt, you know, those are the folks that I want to, I want to kind of pick their brains. Um, you know, I, I mentioned Brian Barney all the time. He's a guy that I really respect a ton. He's, uh, he practices what he preaches. He practices what he preaches. He's, he's a great shooter. He practices his shooting constantly. <laughs> I've witnessed that. It was pretty cool. <laughs> right. <He's tough. laughs> um, in fact, we do a, a contest, the beat Brian Barney contest at the event. And, um, I don't know if he's ever going to lose that contest. Uh, we, he gets out to some pretty long shots and he just, he's just, like I said, he practices so much. He runs every day. He's very fit. Uh, he's just a sound hunter because he works so hard at it. He's positive, which is another, you know, really important piece to why he's successful. Um, guys like that, you know, I've got, a few guys that are like reoccurring gentlemen that, that come in and Brian's one of those guys. Mark Livesey is another gentleman that comes, um, guys, a book of knowledge when it comes to e-scouting. I don't know if there's anybody out there that's as good as Mark or has put in the time and attention to detail that Mark has put in. It's, it's, it's incredible. You know, the knowledge that he has when it comes to sitting there on a computer screen or six <laughs> and, and just, you know, the mapping that he can do and the ability that he has from a screen to locate elk and find elk areas and all this is really important. And, and he clarifies that in his course because he had a history of having to travel to these Western states where he wasn't just able to go drive there and spend three, four, five days scouting it. Like he needed some intel before he did that or he's burning days. Um, so I have guys like him there that, uh, they're the best of their craft. So uh, I think I think just that, like I wanted people to have folks to talk to and to listen to in a presentation who um, really were at the top of their game and they've proven that through all the success that they've had over the years. And then, you know, a lot of this isn't just education. Like education part of it is cool and it's fun and it's important. And I feel like a lot of the education comes not just from the presentations that we do, but from those conversations off to the side. There's a lot of questions that may not get asked in social media or answered on a podcast, um, but they're easy to kind of flow through a conversation when you're one-on-one -on -one with a guy on a hike or, you know, eating a meal or um, just kind of sitting in the backdrop. Well, and, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like I remember standing on the mountain, eating breakfast, talking to Brian Barney, and looking at the landscape in front of you so you could actually point out features and I would you know I was asking them like okay say there was an elk there and how would you approach him you know with with the wind coming this way or whatever and I mean him being able to break that down and and talk to you and tell you okay you know well I'm, I'm not going to just go try and make my move on him now I'm going to wait him out see where he goes say he goes over here into that little thicket I'm going to wait until he goes in there. Then I'm going to kind of make my move and wait until he gets up again. And, you know, I mean, thinking about the thermals, telling me where he'd place himself on that hill is something you could never do with just words on a computer screen or a cell phone or anything like that. And I think that that information is like invaluable. It's something you, you really can't get anywhere. So, I mean, it's that mentorship, like you were, you know, we mentioned in the beginning of the podcast that I would have never been able to conceptualize that by somebody talking to me without having the landscape in front of me for sure. Right. Yeah, it's true. I think, I think when you have somebody on the mountain or, you know, in just in person, you know, it makes a world of difference when you're just talking, like you're just having a conversation and all those little nuanced questions that you might have can get answered. 
Um, and if you have the right person answering them, it can be very valuable. So uh, my job is to try to get these these guys that are really good at that and really good at educating, and they've got a track record of success. So, um, which is a fun job for me because I get to I get to bring in just some studly folk that are um, that are just great humans and really um, really have accomplished a lot. And uh, I think our lineup is continues to get better and better every year that we do this at, and every event. And you know, I'll be honest because um, when we first started, like educate the education part of it, the mentorship part of it was like number one. That's that's what I wanted to focus these summits on. And since we've been starting them, I'm trying to tweak them. I want to make them better. Um, and, and I feel like it's almost a, I don't even know if it's a 50-50 now. Like I want to make it more of a fun experience with some education. Um, so we're doing a lot of different things this year than we did last year. And, uh, and so I think, I think they're value. I think, you know, we're, we're introducing a lot more fun little challenges and events and shooting, um, competitions. And, um, for example, like we've got three events this coming year, we got a rifle event, which is unique. Uh, as you know, last year we did a, um, basically a critter specific. So we did a, an elk, a couple of elk events, a uh, deer event, and then a bear event. Um, now this year we're doing more of a weapon seasonal type, uh, specific. So our first event this year is a rifle event, which a lot of guys are, um, that's their jam. Like they're out there late October, uh, hunt through November through the rut with a rifle. And so we're going to speak to that. We're going to speak to that specifically. Um, we're also going to work on like shooting, uh, target panic, not just with a bow, but with a rifle. Uh, there's a lot of guys that think they're really, really good with a rifle and then everything falls apart <laughs> at the shot, just like with a bow. And yeah. so, um, you know, I got an issue. I'll have Joel Turner there. He's going to be there for at least a day each event. So even during the rifle event, Joel's there. The guy is, is a really good teacher. Uh, he might intimidate you a little bit with his tactics, but I think they're unique and important and they, they really like imprint how you should think about your shot versus just going through the motions. And I think a lot of people just do that. And Joel's a great shooter, uh, both rifle and archery. So I've got him coming out. We're going to be shooting steel with the rifles. Um, he's going to work with folks for a day doing that. And the archery events, we're also going to be doing a lot of just technique, archery shooting challenges. Uh, we'll have a, a 20 uh, target core set up on the mountain, the same mountain that we hiked um, last year. Uh, there's going to be targets set up. We're going to be doing some hiking and shooting similar to like uh, some type of a challenge course. Maybe it's a mountain challenge or attack event, but not at that level, but we're going to have 20 target cores set up and we're going to go through that and have some fun with it. Um, then we're just, we've got a lot more hands-on fun little type things that we're going to be doing this year, not just so much sitting there and presenting as in a classroom setting like we have in the past. There is going to be some of that for sure, but we're going to try to limit that and uh, spread those out, those presentations out a little bit. So we, uh, have a little more hands-on, um, type fun. So backcountry medical is going to be a big topic. It's one of the things that people ask me about a lot in the surveys that we would send out after the summits. Folks were really curious about, um, like situational things that could happen to you on the mountain. So I've got a, a really good expert coming in and he's going to do some hands-on stuff and we're going to go through all the scenarios that could happen. Um, that's <laughs> that's something I don't think actually gets talked about enough, and uh, I've got a episode coming up pretty soon that that really dives deep into the woods, and I've got one of the guys from Fieldcraft Survival coming on and talking about that. And I mean, those dudes, you know, from combat medic type rescue situation to you know applying it in the field, I think it's super super important. And that's like I can't stress it enough for everybody listening. I've started carrying a tourniquet 
in my pack because that is, I mean, you're playing with sharp sticks all the time with pointy little knives on the end of it, you know? I mean, the prime example is your buddy Dave Brinker. And, uh, you know, what happened to him? An arrow fell out of his quiver and ended up stabbing him in the leg. I mean, it just happens. And luckily they were able to improvise him and uh, Corey. But, I mean, can you imagine if they didn't have anything like that to try and slow that bleed down? It would have been... If Dave would have been by himself that day, um, he might have had a really difficult time. Um, yeah, it could have went ugly really fast. And yeah, just imagine if you were solo hunting and, and you know, maybe it's not an arrow that fell out of your quiver, but we've all been in, you know, deadfalls like after a burn. I mean, how many, how many sharp sticks are you walking over up and over logs? And <laughs> I, I don't know. I, it feels like you see thousands of them. And uh, I always feel fortunate to come out unscathed. Like I've I've been very lucky. I've been probably the worst at having a really good medic kit with me on the mountain. And the only reason is because I've been lucky and yeah. I've had any kind of a major circumstance back there that. Um, but I mean, a smart person would, you know, have that before it happens, right? So I need to up my game when it comes to that as well. Um, but I know a lot of people, you know, every year somebody hurts themselves and, uh, or cuts themselves really bad. And, you know, if you're a solo hunter or if you're just, if you're just in the mountains deep and, um, and yeah, that could be a deer hunt, bear hunt, elk hunt. Uh, it takes quite a bit to get out of those mountains. And, you know, I, I know, like I always say, well, I've got this little Garmin on me i can just push the sos button but maybe you don't have time for that and so there's a lot of things that i feel like um we should all get better at and i think backcountry medical is, is probably one of those like having a tourniquet very important um <laughs> how many times i've been really really close to uh you know gouging myself to the point of maybe not being able to make it out but um i know a lot of people have I've gotten some pretty ugly punctures and you just want to be able to take care of it. It's important. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, I mean, a lot of, it seems like a lot of people, you know, maybe used to carry some of that stuff and then all of a sudden they just want to be ultra light and shave weight and, and say, Oh, well, I scrapped this, I scrapped that, you know, I don't really need that. I'll just carry a couple of band-aids and, you know, some tape cause I can use tape for everything, you know, but I mean, some of those things you kind of got to thumb with your backpack right like if you're a backpacker you know generally if you're starting out your pack is way too heavy um and then if you follow guys that have done it for a long time they say well if you haven't used it in so many trips ditch it well one of the one of the (laughs) things that ends up getting very very lightweight is your medical kit and that's probably the one piece that we shouldn't ditch the gear that we're not using um but I'm guilty of that, 100%. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember seeing that when you did your bag dump. I didn't see a very oh, detailed medical I, kit, Ryan. Limited <laughs> kit. I think I've got some, like some wound seal. I've got some bandages. Uh, I've got some wrap, uh, a couple of band aids, and you know some, you know pills for this and that. But that's about it. I don't, you know, I just don't have a very beefed up kit. Um, and then some of the places that we go, that's probably a really bad idea. Well, I mean, you could always push the SOS button, but you got to stay alive long enough for him to get you out too. So, so with that being said, let's transition a little bit, get off the, the scary stuff and get back to the more positive stuff. So I've kind of noticed a trend and I've talked to our buddy Mark about it recently. Um, the whole thing with, you know, elk tags maybe becoming scarce or limited for out of state travelers but it seems like there's still a decent surplus of bear tags. So it's got my gears turning and trying to maybe consider doing a bear hunt or something instead, you know, instead or in lieu of an elk hunt if you don't get to elk hunt every year. Yeah. So with that being said, I remember we were walking on the hike when we had our conversation and he said, well, Lucas, what do you think? Does this look like good bear country? And I said, Ryan, I couldn't tell you either way. I have no idea. Yeah. So what is, I mean, so describe in your mind what bear, good bear country looks like. Yeah. Well, where we were was good bear country. There is a lot of bears. 
Uh, I can't remember on that trip if we saw many bears. Um, I, probably about and, 10, I think, yeah, 10. <laughs> honestly. Um, I mean, geez, in or Montana, there's not many areas that are not, once you hit the mountain, it's, it's pretty loaded with bears. But um, yeah, first off, uh, from what you said um, when you started out, yeah, the, the tags, you know, we're starting to see a big transition from how states are treating maybe non-residents, right? I think tags are going to be a little bit more difficult if you want to have um, opportunities in these other states. You know, Point Creek, drawing a good tag is getting more and more difficult. Um, if you live in a state that doesn't have resident hunts, uh, you're going to be struggling. Uh, I think the future is going to be a little bit more difficult on a lot of these great deer tags and elk tags. Uh, Montana, if you're a Montana resident, we've got a fantastic season. We get a long season. We get cheap tags and, and a number of them. Um, but there's a lot of states that don't have really, really good. I mean, go down to Nevada. If you want to hunt elk and you're a Nevada resident, you got to find a place outside of it. Um, you know, Utah, Washington, I grew up there. There's, there's some decent hunting, but a lot of folks want to look for greener pastures. So. They're always looking at these these other states for deer and elk. But one of the things that we've been doing, we've done some videos, um, Brian Call and I, kind of highlighting bear hunting um, and and why we love it so much. I mean, it, it, I can't really say, like, for folks that have followed me, I guess, mule deer hunting is my passion. I love mule deer. I just love where they take you. I love the hunt. I love the chess game up in the high country for mule deer. But it's not very far down the list is bear hunting in the springtime because it does bring you to those same type places. You know, you're, you're traipsing around big mountains, um, top of the world, glass and big country. And, and it's a great time of year to be out there. The snow line's going up. Um, you know, that feed line just moves up the mountain real consistently. And it's just a fun time to be out looking at stuff. And so um, bear hunting has quickly become... Um, one of my absolute favorite hunts. And I think, I think as people get more into bear hunting, which it seems like they are the last couple of years, they're figuring out, yeah, this is something that I want to do like every year. This isn't just this thing I'll do every so often, but um, they want to do it every year. It's just a great time. And there are bear tags pretty readily available in a number of states. Not every state is like that. Um, a lot of states have fall bear hunts like i i said i came from washington state where limited very limited tags to pull a a good spring tag um it's quite a few years in between pulling a good spring bear hunt tag so you either travel or you resort to hunting bears in the fall which that's what i did in washington every year i'd hunt those bears in the fall and uh, what you're looking for in the fall is completely different than what you're looking for in the spring, completely different. So what I loved about those fall hunts is I, it, it brought me to the top of the hill, which, you know, our season back there would open, um, used to open August 15th. I think they've backed it up to August 1st now. So, you know, the berries are right on the cusp, if not um, at the ready in mid-August to late August, those huckleberries on the high up on the hill. That's where I would focus my efforts because you find those those berry fed bears up at the top of the mountain, and that is going to be one fat, rich, delicious <laughs> butterball of a bear. And it's just kind of cool being up in that country. It's it's kind of the openings. It's not tree line. We didn't have. It felt like tree line. If you're if you're up at you know six thousand to seven thousand feet in these big berry fields, um, you know you you're in some pretty incredible places there's a lot of the places that i would chase those bears there's goats to look at and you know black tail and things like that but um you know big giant berry fields sometimes would hold not just one but there might be four or five different bears working that same berry patch and uh it's just a great time but that versus spring, it's hard to say which one is better. I really love that fall season because it has those bears have put on a lot of weight. Like they've carb loaded all summer, you know, 
And, uh, and once they get on those berries, it doesn't take much where I've had bears where you're literally going five inches, um, down their backbone, uh, just to try to get to the back strap, right? The meat, you're, you're going through that much fat and that fat is really valuable as well. And those fall bears give you a lot of fat. If you want to, if you're interested in rendering down bear fat and using that for a variety of things, which is what we do. Fall bears are hard to beat. So um, that's one of the things that I would look for. Avalanche shoots, uh, big berry fields that had a lot of, I mean, you're inevitably in Washington State, it was a lot of scrub around it. Just nasty, big, dark north slopes, rocks, and then berry fields somewhere close. And uh, those can be really, really productive. And it was never really difficult to find bears in the fall uh, because those berries are where it's at. Spring, it's, it, it, it's a little bit different, obviously. Um, they're just coming out of hibernation. And so, you know, we'll start chasing bears uh, late April, mid to late April, depending on the elevation that you're at. I uh, did some spring hunts back in Washington State where, you know, by mid-April, some of those giant bears, some of those big old boars are out and feeding. Um, whereas once you get a little more elevated out into Idaho, Montana, a little bit later in the game, you know, unless you can find some lower elevations, say between 3,000 and 4,500 feet, um, we start, you know, seeing a pretty decent number of bears uh, in that kind of later April time frame. And so um, we're looking for the feed, where the salad is. Uh, you know, some of the features that I, I'm looking for in the spring is creeks, rivers, um, rocky, nasty country away from folks. Um, and then like open South hillsides with an opposing North hillside that's got all the rough country. Maybe, uh, that's where they're denned up. And then, uh, you know, you're looking for those, those green meadows and where the salad is, where the chartreuse, that lime colored green grass just pops and it jumps out at you. And that, you know, that wave of, of green just kind of starts low and it works its way up and the bears kind of follow that up. And uh, so a lot of times, you know, when we're hunting that April 20th time frame, those bears are still not all the way out. There's, there's still maybe only 50% of the bears haven't even come out or a lot less than 50% of the bears are, are out yet in the areas that we're chasing them. Um, so a lot of folks don't even get out there until may or mid-may or late may which is when you know by that point all the bears are out of their den they're they're just down feeding and, and you see a lot more numbers so so, so um, does that mean you go out you're going out early <laughs> so we, <laughs> we go out early when maybe not all the bears are out but it, they're the ones that are are more concentrated so they're easy to find is how i would put it and uh, honestly, I don't know if there's anything to this or maybe somebody would disagree, but I feel like some of those older age class boars are out in the beginning and um, they're slow moving and they're hitting a target, uh, like a, a spot of grass, a meadow, um, you know, an area of the mountain. And, and you'll tend to be able to pick those bears up day after day after day and they'll go back to those same areas and they're just not moving around as much it gets a little more difficult to find those real old giant bears as you get close to june um close to that rut usually that rut kicks off right around that first part of june and, and then they those big old boars are moving and you know a little bit more difficult to uh to get on them and, and actually uh take them so so what would you classify as your favorite then for uh for the bear hunting would it be in the fall or would it be the spring it's it's tough to say i, I like both i think when it comes to the table fair i would prefer a fall bear uh, i prefer they were parked on a berry patch for a week or two just carb loading and getting all fat and, and gooey and um <laughs> getting a lot of good fat off of that bear you're also going to get some really really good high quality meat off that bear uh, but spring time frame, I love that time frame when you're out there finding them just as they come out of their den, 
maybe you're at snow line, uh, maybe they're down close to a river somewhere, a creek or, or water, uh, wherever that green grass is starting to pop. I don't know. I don't know if I could answer that question, Lucas. <laughs> they're both fun hunts. I just no. like <laughs> Not only that, but in the spring, you can actually pick morels too. So that kind of helps, right? <laughs> that is true. Yeah. In fact, uh, last year, geez, we had, I picked a huge bag of morels going in on this, uh, this bear hunt. Hiked the number of miles getting in in this place. And uh, there was a fresh burn, picked a crud ton of morels. Ended up using the game bag, hung them up um and dried them they basically just dried out uh had plenty of airflow and then ended up getting uh getting a couple bears worked back to that game bag plucked it off the deal kind of rehydrated them and and cooked them up and just ate that a uh, big old bag of morels with with fresh bear meat oh Lucas, it's pretty hard to beat <laughs> I imagine rehydrating or reconstituting them as you're cooking them in the bear fat would be pretty, pretty good. Uh, yeah. Definitely. So um, what's kind of like, once you get to bear, what, I mean, a lot of people, I'm sure they have an aversion to bear meat, right? So what would be, you know, some of the things you would tell them to do? Like, I know a lot of people say, you know, cook the hell out of it because you might have trichinosis in it or something like that. But to me, it seems like abuse to almost any meat if you cook it like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can speak to that for a while. Cause it, bear meat's different. It's, it's, it has like its fans and it's got its haters. Um, I've never in my life had a bad bear, but most of the bears that I've consumed have been high country, berry fed bears and spring bears that they're not eating rotten fish um and to be honest i'm not even hunting bears that are eaten around skunk cabbage and things like that uh there's areas that have a lot of that and they'll focus on skunk cabbage and you know dead salmon in the fall and all that and okay i could see that those may have a bit of a foul flavor to them i've just never run across them i'm hunting areas that don't have that so uh you know i I can't for the life of me figure out how somebody would take meat off of any fall berry fed bear and not like that meat. Um, could they have trichinosis? Absolutely. That's one thing you'll ne you never want to eat raw bear or <laughs> undercooked bear. You always want to jack that up to 160 degrees, 165 degrees internal temperature there. And you just, you just want to make sure you, you know, you don't have to cook the snot out of it. Just make sure it's well cooked. Like it's hit that point where there's no pink in there. Um, if you're throwing it on a, on a Weber Traeger or whatever, you just got to get that internal temp to that level. Now, here's the one thing that a lot of people don't know about bears. And you, it sounds like if you cook the snot out of it, it's not going to be very good because most wild game is really lean. Like venison is really lean. Deer and elk, if you cook the crud out of it, it's not very good. It yeah, kind of sucks. True. Um, you've screwed it up. Bear's not like that. Bear has a pretty good amount of fat or grease in it, and uh, you can cook the snot out of it, and it's still really, really good. It doesn't get tough as leather. Like a really, um, like, uh, you know, a, a, a deer, mule deer, or a whitetail, or a you know, an elk that's really, really leaned out, um, that will get overcooked and it's going to be hard to, hard to chew on. Whereas bear, man, you literally overcook it. I think you overcooked it and it's still really good. Um, you know, there's, we could do an hour on how to cook bear, <laughs> sear it and then, you know, get that temperature up. But, um, yeah, I, what I would say to folks is cause I, when I grew up, my dad, that's what he heard was bear was nasty. Like you, you shoot a bear, you, you get the hide and you get a rug out of it. And so that was my opinion of bear growing up. Um, it wasn't until I started taking a couple and bringing the meat back and trying it myself that I was like, what are those crazies talking about? This is incredible meat. Um, I just can't figure out folks that don't like it. And um, again, there's probably bears that don't taste good. A lot of bears in Alaska that are feeding on dead salmon all day um, are probably going to be that great. But um, 
it's really, really hard to be fair, uh, in my opinion. In fact, it's our family's favorite. If I was to take three pieces of meat out of the freezer, one said bear, one said deer, one said elk, a lot of people would say, well, you go to the elk, right? It's not in this house. It's, it's bear every time, every time. Um, and that's, that's having a wife that, like, she was really hesitant to even eat bear, you know, a long time ago. But she loves it. We all love it. It's really good. It's just, um, yeah, I think there's just some things that we've heard growing up that it's just get, gotten a bad rap. But, again, I'll challenge anybody to go get a nice fat fall bear in the mountains um, that's been feeding on berries and not think that meat is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, no, that's so. What would you just your one favorite way to cook it be? Or you got too many of them to decide? Okay, um, <laughs> easy like easy way to do it, and it's that first meal I think on the mountain. Um, I just like to render down some bear fat. So I'll take take some bear fat on the mountain. Most of us carry some type of a cooker with a pot, like a jet boil um, type cooker. Uh, I like to take a bunch of cubes of that bear fat. Put it in there, uh, turn it on a somewhat of a low heat. Um, I'll run that jet boil mini mode because it toggles down really, really low and doesn't just burn the crud out of the bottom of the pan. So you can turn that down pretty low and uh, get a good half inch, inch, inch and a half of uh, bare fat rendered on the bottom of that. Pull those little um, fat pieces out, and then I will have chopped up little squares, little one inch squares of bear meat uh, doesn't really matter to cut and i'll drop those in and just deep fry those bear pieces into that jet boil and um i'll just you, know, you can eat it just like that bring a little seasoning but that's usually the first meal that we have with whatever bear that we take and it's hard to beat that on the mountain um even just cooking bear over a fire man it's it's so fatty um you can you can charcoal that thing over an open fire and eat it, and it's really, really good. No, so, that sounds that's that sounds delicious. It's just on the mountain eating fresh bear, uh, and then when we get home, you know, I'll I'll smoke a whole bear ham, or you know, on the Traeger. That's that's a great way to do it. Or you know, a lot of things on the Traeger. Um, I've got a birch barrel where I'll sear this crud out of the outside, and then just uh, just uh, get that temperature up and cook it at 160 and make sure it sits there for a couple minutes it's hard to beat it sounds delicious now it's got me want to go bear hunting almost as bad as elk hunting so <laughs> you know one of the other things too is is canning it i always can i probably can at least a quarter to half of each bear um, it's just easy to do and uh it's quick easy if you're worried about trichinosis it's a great way to eliminate any um you know, possibility of you getting tricked is when you can it, you bring it to a temp that's it's cooked it out of it for sure. And uh, all the meat that you put in that pressure canner uh, is going to come out really, really tender. And when you cook a meat like a bear in a pressure canner, there's a lot of fat and it just stays in there. So it's it's just got really, really good flavor to it. Not to mention it's shelf stable for a very, sure. very long time. Yeah, I know I know people that have eaten it like five, six years later. It's still good, so that's that's awesome. And if you lose your freezer, you don't lose your bear, right? So well, that's a win-win. With, with bear is, um, you know, the fat on it is is really good if rendered down. But if you don't, like, if you're trimming an animal similar to deer, you kind of want to get all the fat off, right? And all the sinew and all that. With a bear, it's extra important. Like that fat will go rancid on you. Uh, it doesn't take that long. So if you don't trim the bear really well as it goes into the freezer um you're going to have a foul taste if you don't get all the fat off of it now it doesn't go bad once you've rendered it but if you just if you just have fat left on it um and and the other thing is bear has so much fat just built into the meat it doesn't have the shelf life that lean meat does in a freezer just how that works and uh and good so, information for sure <laughs> yeah yeah and so it, it's another good reason to just kind of, uh, you know, eat up that bear first and then go to the elk and the other layer. Awesome. So uh, with that being said, and we talked about the Western Hunting Summit, um, 
I guess I'll just make an announcement here on the podcast. Uh, if anybody's interested or curious, I don't have all the details worked out just yet as far as how it's going to work, but I will be giving away a spot to the Western Hunting Summit, and you can go, you can hang out with Ryan and all the other good people he talked about and just get an awesome, awesome education and further your uh, hunting ability. So, Absolutely. Yeah, you were gracious enough to um, to grab a spot that you're going to give away. Uh, scholarship spot, which we're very appreciative for you doing that. It's very, uh, very nice of you, very kind of you to do that for someone. Well, I don't know. In my mind, I just thought to myself, if I couldn't go because I want to go elk hunting this year and limited time away and whatnot, it was such a great experience that I just, I truly, I did. I just wanted to share it with somebody and give somebody else that experience. So we're definitely going to do something. Like I said, you know, we haven't worked out all the details yet of how that giveaway is going to happen but stay tuned everybody and ryan thank you for coming on before you go can you tell everybody where they can find you where they can find all your guys's info you and hillary and everything and uh all that good stuff absolutely yeah it used to be easy it's just like uh instagram just the healthy hunter s-t-h-e-a-l still the hunter on ig uh do a lot of questions on there dms and whatnot uh but we also have this other thing, Hunt Harvest Health. So we've got a website called Hunt Harvest Health, and um, we do some on there. Like I said, we got our podcast, and then we also have our nutrition line now. So Stealthy Nutrition uh, CBD. Um, so StealthyNutrition.com. We do a bunch there as well. So that's kind of where you'll find us. I did. I did steal. I have to admit. I'd stolen, modified your recipe for the macaroons and reposted it on my website and yeah. uh, turned them into carrot cake ones. And they're awesome. But I did give you guys credit for the, for the steal. So. <laughs> We've got a lot of recipes on the site. Um, we're trying to add more. 2021 is going to be really good. We've got some great contributors to the site, to the Hunt Harvest Health site. So there's going to be a crud ton of new recipes going up on there as well as a bunch of videos um, on some fancy dishes as well as back and meals and stuff like that. So that's going to be coming in 21, um, probably within here six, eight weeks or so. Awesome. Ryan, it's great talking to you and uh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Yep. Thanks a lot, Lucas. Thanks for having me. All righty. All right. Now let's get to the fun stuff here. We're doing a giveaway there's going to be one lucky winner that gets a spot to the Western Hunting Summit on June 17th through the 20th of 2021. And this spot is a combo spot. So it's about rifle and archery hunting. There's going to be Brian Barney there, Cody Wilson, um, Hillary Lampers will be giving advice on health and, and fitness. Jason Matzinger is going to be there. Joel Turner is going to be there giving advice. Uh, Mark Livesey is going to be the, tr uh, doing the e-scouting stuff and you got mountain tough fitness, Robbie Denning. I mean, just the list goes on and on. So, I mean, it's something that is just going to be amazing. It's going to further anybody who's a hunter or wants to, you know, learn more about Western style hunting. It's going to be an, an amazing course. Um, so with that being said, what, they need to do is they need to follow publicly challenged on Instagram and they also need to follow the Western hunting summit. And then I want everybody that, that wants to be entered in, put your social media handle in an email and send it with one paragraph of why you want to go, or you can submit somebody else and just make sure they follow publicly challenged and Western hunting summit on Instagram. And, and, just make sure you put that handle in the email and sub in one paragraph, just tell why you, you believe that they deserve to go or something like that or why they want to go. And um, you do that and we're going to pick a, a winner here and one person is going to get to go. Um, they still need to be able to travel to get there and they need to, um, however that is, whether it's fly or whatever. And then once they get there, uh, have their own gear as far as camping. You can bring a trailer and camp. You can tent camp. You can do whatever. It's all going to be at the same site. So you don't really have to worry about any accommodations once you get there. Just uh, 
worry about getting yourself there. And uh, I think I think meals are going to be included with that too. So check it out. Listen to that this episode. Obviously, if you're listening, you know you know the rules. And then just follow our social media, the Western Hunting Summit social media, and submit that email. Make sure you leave your social media handle and just one paragraph saying why you want to go or the other person deserves to go. And we look forward to picking a winner. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm ill there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.